It's great to be with you. I'm excited to share the word with you this morning. I'm very expectant for what the Lord has laid on my heart for us as a faith community. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you constantly and at all times invite us unto yourself. And my prayer is this morning in the reading and the studying of your word that each one of us would hear the invitation once more to step closer and to be with you, to become more like you, to grow in our affection towards you, and that your word would be a mirror to our lives this morning, where we can consider for a moment our relationship with you in light of the glory and the grace that you bestow upon us, Father. I pray that you would lead our thoughts this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would take into captivity every thought, Lord, that we would be submitted to Christ and that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Last week, I shared a word with you, sticky culture, where we spoke about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this morning, I believe the word kind of builds upon that. And today and next week, we're going to be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, over two chapters. Now, one chapter, or over two weeks, one chapter, two very different um, messages that we're going to get out of them. Um, but this morning, I want to call my message, Courageous, Clinging, Careful Love. And I want to start with a question. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I love God best? Have anyone ever asked that? Like, I, I get that he loved me and that Jesus is inviting me into the love, but how do I do it to the best of my ability? And that's a question I often battled with. I sometimes still do. I say, God, please show me, lead me, let me understand how my affection towards you could, could be the way that you really, you really enjoy. And it's really in accordance to your word and your truth. And therefore, I chose those three words by leaning into one of my friends. I don't know him, but we know him through this, the book of Joshua. And he, he chose those three words, and I'll show you this morning. But my prayer is that, that we would leave here with a bit, of, a bit of a greater understanding of how best we can love God. How best our affections could be turned towards him. So three words to start us off this morning. Courageous, clinging, careful love. I believe this is the opposite of the pharisaical love or superficial play-acting love that we spoke about last week, is to be courageous, to be clinging and hanging on to Him, and always to be careful in how we love the Lord our God. This morning while I prayed, I want to share with you just a picture that the Lord shared with me. I was praying, I was closing my eyes, I was praying for the Word this morning, and, and in my mind's eye I saw an image of, of a room that was quite dark with some spotlights in the corners, and there were a lot of people around a Persian carpet, a red one, one of those beautiful, lush, just amazing Persian carpets that no one can afford. Um, and right in the middle of it, Jesus was standing with these spotlights of all the angles focused on him. So the people were kind of, the faces I couldn't see, they were in, in the dark, but the spotlights were completely focused on Jesus. And then I saw myself just saying, hey guys, come, let's step onto the carpet. And there was a hesitation at first for people to come closer to Jesus. And for two reasons, some of them felt not worthy to step into that space of being with him. They feel, I just, I just can't come that close. There's, there's things in my life, there's, there's history. I don't know if I'm allowed 
to step into that place of holiness with Christ. The other image that I saw were people waiting for others to go first and just standing back. As if culture would determine whether they act on the invitation. But I just saw Jesus constantly just saying, come. Come up closer. There's a place of holiness. There's a place of invitation. There's a place that I want you to come nearer to me where the two of us can be intimate and understand and have trust and faith and where I can work in your life and you feel safe to be here with me. I don't know about you, but if there's one person I fully trust, it is Jesus. And the invitation this morning as we read the word is I want you to have that picture in mind of Jesus saying, hey, would you come a little bit closer? It's almost like he called these disciples, as I shared last week, to himself and said, there's some things that I want to share with you. So the invitation is there this morning. We're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 6, only some of the verses this morning. I'm going to use that to set up the message, and then we're going to go to Joshua chapter 23, and we're going to learn a little bit more from that side. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm reading from verse 3, the ESV translation, and it's up on the screen if you want to follow. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire the rich fall into temptations, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Wow, isn't that massive? Such richness in this charge from Paul to Timothy saying, I want you to consider your life. I want you to think in the light of Jesus Christ and everything that you have to, to be content with what he has given you, to be grateful for the grace that he's bestowed upon you, to be happy with the enough that he has for you, 
to not fall into all kinds of traps and lures and other options, but I want you to fight the good fight of the faith. And it's amazing because this is strong words. Fight the good fight of the faith. It is not a, I want you to walk and just gently kind of accept every now and again that I, you've got to be gentle and you've got to be kind. He's saying fight the good fight. So I don't know if any of you have ever been in a fight. Any hands up? Mostly men, that's great. <laughs> I don't know if any of you enjoy watching boxing or fighting of any kind. Great. But if you, if you go into a fighting arena and you just want to just half-heartedly kind of win, there's absolutely no chance. You're going to be zommeled and clapped and beaten up and thrown out of the ring. And therefore, Paul speaks to Timothy, says, hey, this Christian life is a fight. It is a battle. And I'm going to give you the right tools for you to walk in this and to be victorious in the end. He uses military terms. He doesn't use, you know what, just sing a few songs and feel good and that's enough. Saying, fight the good fight. He says, you've got to throw in a jab of love on the one side. Give the guy an uppercut of gentleness. You've got to give a left hook of godliness in there. Saying, think about your strategy. Think about how you're doing this. Prepare for the, for the ring so that you fight this good fight of faith. Isn't that amazing? And I think so often we fall back into just letting life happen, right? Where we take off the boxing gloves and we say, you know what, God, whatever it will be, let it be. Let God's water over the akker loop. And there's a greater call, directly translated as let God's water run over the acorn. But I'll explain it to you in the future. If you need interpretation of tongues, we can pray for you afterwards. But Paul is saying, no, Timothy, don't just let things happen because there's an evil world out there. You put on your bo boxing gloves and you fight this good fight of faith, of faith and love and gentleness. That's what we've got to do. Now, I want to start with something important. How Timothy is addressed is incredibly important. He says, but you, man of God, fight the good fight of faith. Paul speaks directly into his identity. And God wants to remind some of you of your identity this morning. Saying, you, man, you, woman of God, fight the good fight of faith. How do you become a woman or a man of God? It's simple. You come to the cross. And in that moment that you meet Jesus, there's complete justification. He takes all the demands of sin that is put up against you and he nails it to the cross. And he says, you are a new creation. You are set free. You are justified. You are sanctified by my blood. You are now a man and woman of God. And from that identity, we get to fight this fight. But so many of us have lost our identity. And we still stand on the offsides of this invitation this carpet to come into to Jesus because we don't know the fullness of what he's done for us at the cross. Before I continue and say, I want you to fight the good fight like this, I want to remind you of your identity, the moment that you make Jesus not just the Savior, but the Lord of your life. Where you exchange your old nature for a new nature. You become a man and a woman of God. And from there, we get to fight this fight. Some of you might have neglected that identity. You've become a man and a woman of something else because of life that is required of you to just little, little, 
put a little pause on, on all the godliness things and I just need to, to be liked and welcomed. And, I, and again, this image of the invitation to the carpet, you've been waiting for someone else to take that first step. And when culture does it, it's cool to now say, hey, I'm a man and woman of God. But I wanna remind you, every nation comes to West, you are men and women of God. So fight the good fight of faith. And then I love what Paul does. He says, there's two options. It's fleeing or flight and pursuit. This is how we do it. So he says, there's bad stuff. There's negative things. There's the love of money. There's all these things that lure us and want to take us away. You flee it, but you don't just run away from it. You exchange that with a new pursuit. I love, I love this thought. You don't deal with your sin by running away from it. You deal with your sin by running to Jesus. And he's saying, don't just run away from the stuff and like, oh no, I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to. And that's how many people perceive Christianity or a relationship with Jesus. Just, you're not allowed to run away, it's sin. Just get away from it. He says, you know what? Exchange the fleeing for a pursuit of something so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more beautiful and inviting and freeing than the temporary satisfaction that these things offer. I love C.S. Lewis, and I'm gonna quote him again, who said this, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy all these things, I can only conclude that I wasn't made for here. And there's desires in us, and it's awakened, and then we live in a world where it's everything just get heightened by the stuff we see and hear and feel and experience. And we constantly think, yes, we've just gotta run away from these things. Can we change our mind and say, no, it's not running away from this, it's running to the godliness and the peace and the faith and the steadfastness and the gentleness that Jesus has for us. These enemies of godly character, man and woman of God, we've got to flee them. But don't just flee it, overcome it with a higher pursuit. It's not just noble, and I love this, to just say no to the sin and the, the luring. It's far more noble and upright to pursue the higher call and the higher standard that God has for us. The red carpet that he says, come a little bit closer to me. C.S. Lewis writes about these desires. He says this, it would seem that our Lord find our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition and money when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Just like Paul, C.S. Lewis is saying, you know what, there's two choices in this life. Letting those desires for the things of this world just run wild or stepping into eternal, endless, infinite joy. Because that's what Christ has brought. That's what he has given us through the cross. That's what the Father intended from the start at creation where he put man and woman in the garden. He said, this is great, this is beautiful, this is infinite joy and we lost it and we try and find it through these things again and the invitation is don't flee Pursue Jesus, because in that place, our desires will be awakened to something far greater, and he is the only one who can bring fruition to this.
A simple way to explain it, coffee. So we have instant coffee in our house. Helena likes Frisco. I call it a coffee drink, confession time. I call it a coffee drink, and when I have to make a Frisco, I, I put a whole lot of effort into it. You, you throw in two spoons of Frisco first, and then a whole lot of milk, and just stir it up for five minutes, and then a little bit of sugar to make it creamy, so that when you pour hot water over it, you don't just smell Marmite. I don't know if you ever noticed, when you pour hot water over Frisco, it smells like Marmite. Go try that. But it actually smells like coffee. And by the way, it's not coffee, it's chicory, which is something different. But I wake up in the morning and I'm desperate for a cup of coffee and there's no real deal coffee in the house. Then I've got a decision to make. Am I going to settle for the Frisco? Or am I going to control my desires for infinite joy? For a cup of Lawrenceford or Merkava or these days Ground Central. Um, that sells amazing coffee, and before nine o'clock in the morning, it's half price, so it's worth it. It's really infinite joy in all its ways. And it's a simple illustration to explain to you that this is, this is what Paul is trying to say, this is what C.S. Lewis is saying, and we're gonna get to what Joshua said to his people. We're constantly gonna have to make these decisions. But we've gotta ask ourselves, what are we fleeing from, not just to flee from it, but we are fleeing and saying no to these because we are saying hi to something so much more beautiful and infinite and lovely and satisfying, eternally satisfying that none of these other things can give us. So the next time you drink Frisco, think about that. We've got to check our desires. We've got to have moments in our lives where we we think about our day, we think about our month, our week, where we are, our thoughts, our actions, where we put our money, what we do. Where are my desires? Is it placed within the things? And not that things are bad. Is it placed within the sinful nature of my brokenness? Or is it unto Jesus and pursuing him? So now I want you to turn, after I've given you that introduction, your Bibles, to Joshua chapter 23. And we're going to read the whole chapter and I'm going to share some thoughts with you from there this morning. Let's read together. Joshua 23, the ESV. Just some context. The Israelites have settled in this promised land that God had for them. It was a massive fight. They were fighting the good fight. Sometimes they made some mistakes. Sometimes there was some sin in the camp and God had to deal. But they've done their very best and they found a place where they're settling down and it goes like this. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in the years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written 
in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from of this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all these good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from of this good land that the Lord your God has given you if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from of the good land that he has given to you. This is his farewell speech, saying, Israel, God has done so much for you. I'm about to go, and there's one final charge. I charge you, O nation of God, with this thing. Continue to pursue and make God the focus of your affection and flee from the surrounding nations and their culture and what they expect of you. Can you think about everything that Joshua has done? Can you think about the moments that he encountered God where it says in the book of Exodus that Moses would go into the place of encounter with God and then he would leave, but then Joshua would stay a little longer so that he can speak to God. And just hear from him a little more. So in all the things that Joshua had to say, he said this. There's one last thought I want to share with you. Is that God has been amazing to you. And I want to encourage you and charge you to flee and to pursue what he has for you. The concept comes to mind here of a city on a hill. Because these Israelites... Israelites and this nation have found themselves, it says, surrounded by the culture and the enemies around them. And he said, you are a nation that is a light to other nations. You've got to look different. There's a different standard. There's a different value system. There's a different way of life. I don't want you to go out and get married to these people and fall accustomed to their culture. I want you to look differently. And years later, Jesus speaks about this. In the book of Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He's speaking to us, the future church, the people who represent God in this earth like Israel did back then, and saying, I want you 
even in the midst, the enemies and the culture around you to shine like a brightening light and look different. And this is what Paul is reminding Timothy of, that the Christian, the man of God, the woman of God walks differently. There was the prophetic word that God gave Israel. It says, nations will come to your light. And it's when we walk this Christian life of pursuing Jesus and making that our pursuit and our good fight, not just running after him, but fighting off with our jabs and our uppercuts, the things of this world, that we become a light. And a city within a city that people will look at and say, wow, those people are people of God because they're shining brightly, just like Israel did in amongst the other nations. He ends his charge with two options, promise or peril. He says, you've got a choice in this. You know what? God is God and he's amazing. And he's done so much for you. But there's an option here. You can see the sustained and all the fullness of that and the promise that he has for you coming to the fruition that he still has. And you'll go and, and take hold of those other lands that is still available. Or you could exchange that and become like the people around you. And then there will be peril upon you. And I want to just take a moment to explain something to you. At the cross of Calvary and meeting Jesus, we are justified. So we stand in front of him and the wrath of God is turned away to the cross. So it speaks about the anger of God in here, but it says that through the cross of Jesus, the wrath of God is now satisfied in what Jesus has done, and we stand justified, right? Then we also sanctified, we made clean. We, we are washed, we are a new creation, but then there's still a road of purification and walking out our salvation from that point. Now some streams or theology believe you get to Jesus and you're justified and sanctified and then it doesn't matter what it looks like after that because this has happened. But the Bible is full of God being a just judge all the way through, right to the end. He says in James, don't grumble against one another. Pia, don't go to Pete and say stuff about Ricky that you don't like because the judge is standing at the door addressing Christians and saying, there's things that Christians don't do. And there's a judge that's standing at the door and he's hearing and he's listening. And then right at the end, the Bible says that when Christ returns, there'll be a judgment of our good works, of what we've done, and then of the world. And sometimes I feel like this is a discussion we don't like to have in church these days. Where we don't talk about the Christian walk from that point where we met Jesus. The charge for the good fight of faith. Where we say, guys, come on. We've got to keep standing. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep saying no to these desires and pursue Jesus. And some of us have found ourselves in peril like the Israelites after this story. Because they didn't do what Joshua said. And they again went and bowed before these other gods. And we say, God, where are you and where are your promises? Are they not true to me anymore? And then God stands back and says, but I gave you the key to the promises. It's in fighting the good fight that you access it and you live in that. And Jesus is calling back his people to that point where we come to the cross and we get the grace and the sanctification and the justification, but then we walk out under the awareness that he is a just judge, our life with him. 
And then when we slip up and make a mistake, we can go back here and say, God, we're sorry. And every time and time and time again, he does forgive us. But you hear what I'm trying to say? Promise or peril is up to us. If I decide today that for the next, next two weeks of my life, I'm going to exchange water for Coca-Cola, what's going to happen? I'm going to get really sick and fat. And that's not going to be a pretty sight. But you see, somewhat, that's kind of crept into the church. Jesus has saved me and I'm cool with him. But now I get to still choose what I want to do. No effect whatsoever. And I can just go back and say, I'm sorry again. And then I can run again and maybe do some stuff that I want to do. And Timothy says this. And C.S. Lewis said it. And Jesus said this. I'm going to end there this morning. And Joshua says this. And then it happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, where the church brought their money. They sold property and they brought their money to the apostles and they kept back some money. This is post the cross. And then the apostles said, Is this all the money? And they lied to the apostles and they said, No, it's not. Oh, sorry, it is all the money. But God showed the apostles that they're lying. Boom, he falls down dead. The judgment of God stepped into that moment. This is post the cross. Some of us say or believe that, no, 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 listen, your, everything is cool now because I've, I've been to Jesus and to the cross. There's still a life of purification and walking out our salvation that we've got to take a hold of and we have to fight this good fight of faith. Some of you are going to see the victory that you need by simply changing the way that you are living. You've been crying out to that promise. God, you've said you promised this, that to me. Maybe he just wants to say, you know what, Ricky, if you just adjust this and bring that brokenness to me, that promise is just waiting at the door. It's our responsibility to put the key in the door and welcome it in. I want to focus a little bit on the good side of this because it sounds like a whole lot of bad, right? <laughs> And I want to go back to what Joshua is saying. I want to go back to what Paul charged Timothy with. Where are you putting your affections and your desires? Because in all of this, there's a loving father that stands back and says, I've got a holiday at the beach for you. And still you choose to make mud pies in the slums. I've got infinite joy for you. I've got all my promises, yes and amen, for you. And still you choose to bow down to the culture and the things around you and the lesser gods. It's what we exchange that's really the question. Because he has offered all of this for us, yet we constantly choose to exchange it for something less. In the backyard of our father, good things run wild. That's something I heard the other day. Think about when he created the garden. And it's in that very place where the good things of God and dwelling with him and the fullness of everything that he had was experienced that the first doctrine that was ever challenged happened right there and it was the doctrine of God's judgment. See, Adam and Eve were busy enjoying the fullness, the infinite joy, and the enemy came in and he said, you know what? You're still missing out. 
there's still something that you haven't experienced. Isn't that how he often comes? He says, sure, there's, there's a little bit more. Can, can you just, just quickly try this as well? And then they say, no, wait a minute. Doctrine of God, he said, if we do this, we will die. And then the enemy does something that he's ever since done so well. And he challenges the doctrine of judgment. He says, no, you won't. Come on. God won't kill you. And since then, so many of us have walked this road like, you know what? He's not going to deal with me. It's dealt with there. And then we find ourselves broken in the future because we chose the peril and not the promise. We chose that and not the pursuit of him. G.K. Chesterton says this, the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. That's the very reason God stepped in because all of the things we're not allowed to do will eventually lead to brokenness, pain, and destruction. If anyone can come and tell me that all of these things are worth it because I'm still standing 80 years, 90 years later and it's not brought any pain upon me, I'm happy to take such a challenge. It's protecting us. It's putting in these boundary lines and say, listen, within these boundary lines, Yes, there's amazing things for you to enjoy. It's how we are with our kids. We don't want to feed them sweets every single day because they're going to grow up being unhealthy and not enjoying sport and the fullness of life. You see how we can understand it in simple terms. Yet when we sometimes approach God, it's a little bit weird to think that uh, he's just a party pooper. He doesn't want us to enjoy things. You can hear that there's an impression on my heart that I wanted to share with you today. I often think that Jesus stands on that red carpet for days and weeks and months in your life. And you're just not willing to say, in light of that, come on, why would I even? I just want to come close to the glory and the splendor and the holiness of being around him. And you know what? The weapons of our warfare is gentleness, steadfastness, and faith and love. These are good things we get to enjoy. That's the invitation that he has for us. He wants us to have a courageous, clinging, careful love for him. And we see that in the story of Joshua. First, be courageous. Translated out of verse six into the original language where he says, be strong in making sure that you follow the law of Moses. That word strong is the same word as courage and being courageous, that God used at the beginning when he called Joshua and said, be strong and be very courageous. He says, be courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. It takes courage in today's world to stand on the precepts of God. It doesn't take courage to join a clamor group and shout against it. It takes courage to stand up and say, I'm a man, I'm a woman of God, I'm sure of my identity, I've got it in Jesus, he set me free and I'm gonna walk it out and I'm gonna stand on his precepts. And when I slip and make a mistake, I'll even come back to you if you are offended by it and I'll ask for your forgiveness. But I'm gonna try again to stand upon these precepts. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for everything. 
if we don't stand upon this word and these commands that he has, which is only for our good and for us to enjoy the goodness of God for no other reason. It's for our benefit that he's given it to us. Then we will live in that place. Then we will find it and experience the promise. He says, be courageous. Now I wanna tell you today as a church, can we be courageous in standing for truth? I'm not talking about being judgmental because the Bible is clear about that too. We can't judge. That's up to him one day. We've got to love and care and respect and lead people to Jesus who's standing waiting for them to come to him. But while we do that, can we be courageous in our own way of living to make sure that we follow his commands? The New Testament is full of it. It says that, you know what, we all fall short, right? We all make mistakes. But yet Jesus says, here's the greatest command of all. Love the Lord to God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So everything, every day, every moment, every second, every thought, every action, every conversation that you have, am I doing this with a love for him? That's even a greater standard than keeping 10 commandments. But it's possible because of the Holy Spirit who empowers us and the work of the cross. Secondly, Joshua said, keep clinging. Not only be courageous, but keep clinging. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. He addresses quite strongly adultery in this, uh, not adultery, idolatry in this moment. He says, you know what? You are surrounded by these other gods. And he says, don't even mention their names. <laughs> They're not worth it. And we just heard this morning of the angels that seen God and millions of them stand and all they can say is hallelujah and holy. So don't even mention these idols that are around you. Cling to me. And if I may, some of us are clinging to other things. Some of us are completely controlled by this today. That's just one example. I don't say throw away your phone, but I constantly have to check, Lord, Am I bowing before this? <laughs> Tongue in cheek? More than going down on my knees and seeking you? Because it's, it's, it's come into our world so deeply and thoroughly that we find it so hard to just do that. Some of us are clinging to certain relationships that we worship. It might be our children might be our spouses, might be a relationship that God has spoken to you about for a long time in the way that you conduct it, but you're clinging to that. Some of us are clinging to our success and the money we can make out of it. Some of us are clinging to our pride. I will not tell them how I'm battling because I'm too filled with pride to share my stuff. Wasn't it was this what Jesus addressed last week and said, don't play, act, just come as you are. Just bring it to me. Come onto this carpet that I've created for you and I will accept you and love you and those things won't even count anymore. We've got to keep asking ourselves, are we still clinging to Jesus like the day we first found him? Are we still holding on to him like this? Cling is a strong word. It is not a word of you just walk and it's like every now and again, hey Jesus, take my hand or Jesus, take the wheel as Gary Underwood would say it. It's holding on for dear life. Jesus in everything, 
God, I hold on to you. I cling to you. I know the temptation is there. I cling to you. Lord, I know I can do this and it's gonna feel amazing and be amazing. I cling to you. Yes, Lord, I know if I do one more transaction, it's gonna be great. Lord, I cling to you. Yes, Lord, I know if, if Lord, just once more, can I? No, I cling to you. We choose the infinite joy above the things that never satisfy in its fullness. We choose the promise over the peril. That's what we do when we cling to him. And then lastly, and I love this, he says, be careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. The carefulness isn't in the working out of the law, that's courage. The carefulness is not in doing everything right. The carefulness is in our affection. The carefulness is in stepping back and say, God, are you still my greatest affection? Are you still the thing that I eat and breathe and drink and dream and hope for every day in my life? Lord, my life is surrounded by enemies. My life is surrounded by culture, but I wanna be like that Israel that Joshua hoped for, who would cling to you and be careful that my affections are all for you at all times. That's the invitation that he has for all of us this morning. Do I still have an appetite and an affection for him? And I love this. The word careful there means to be a bodyguard. Can we be our own bodyguards and how we love God and love Jesus? Can we imagine how we walk peer next to peer and then peer wants to do something and then peer tells peer, no, 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 no. Why even? Why even considering it? It's taking God and care of ourselves in a way that he is our ultimate affection at all times. Because again, it's in that that we find the fullness of joy, infinite joy, the charge, the good fight of faith, all these promises that he has for us. And I believe this morning, some of you are gonna step onto that carpet and say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. For too long, I haven't felt worthy, but I know now that because of the cross and because of what you've done for me, I am worthy and justified and I may come boldly to your throne of grace. Some of you have been waiting for culture to just settle a little bit down or less eyes to be on you to wonder what, is, what are you gonna do in light of this whole Christian thing and you're just saying, this is it. I'm choosing promise. I'm choosing infinite joy. I'm choosing to walk with Jesus, make him my ultimate affection and be careful in doing it. The word love is a verb. It's an action word. Anyone married here could tell you that the infatuation and the butterflies die off after a while. And there's moments where they just come up again, but then life happens and they do die down a little bit. That's when the action part of love comes in and we've got to work it. And in the same way, Joshua is saying, work at it that you love God. Fight the good fight in making him your ultimate pursuit. And then you will see how this king of kings, the only sovereign one who lives in unapproachable light, becomes the center of your affection. And you will say, to him be the honor and glory. Hallelujah, amen. Can I get an amen for that? <laughs> Brian, you can come join me. I wanna end with a final thought from Jesus himself. Don't just wanna to talk to you about what Paul said to Timothy. Don't just wanna to talk to you about what Joshua said to Israel or what I said to you this morning or what C.S. Lewis have written 
or G.K. Chesterton, I want to talk to you about what Jesus said. And he said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The root of walking out this Christian journey is loving him. The fruit is keeping his commandments. And that's why I believe the world so often miss it and saying, yeah, the Christians, they're just a bunch of rule keepers and there's no grace and this and that. I want to flip it around and I want to see how Jesus said it. He says, you know what, Eugene, if you are deeply in love with me, if you are careful in that love, if you cling to me, if you are courageous to take a stand, keeping my commandments is going to be easy because you love me. Taking good care of Elena is not a duty. It is. But it's also not. It comes out of loving her. Teaching my daughter how to be a good child is not just a duty, but it's because I love her. And in the same way, Jesus says, if you can come onto this place and experience my love, then you will walk out. It's not the other way around. It's not saying, keep all these commandments, then you're loving me. He's saying, no, no, no. If you love me, root, you will keep my commandments fruit. It changes our conversations. Then I'd rather ask, instead of talking about all your things that, that you are battling with, just say, hey, have you just neglected loving Jesus? Because if you do that again, these things are going to sort themselves out. Then I don't have to step in and say, hey, you know what, Ricky, mm, that thing. I'd rather want to step in and say, Ricky, just go and be with Jesus a little bit. Because there, if you love him, this battle is going to be much easier. The good fight of faith, faith is going to be upon you and you're going to be victorious in that. I want you to imagine for a minute, and you can close your eyes if you want to imagine this with me, the woman caught in adultery. Here she is, the mob wants to kill her. They're shouting her sin for the whole city to hear. Her brokenness is on display, everyone hears it, everyone sees it, everyone knows about it. And then they bring her to Jesus to test him. So let's see what this Jesus figure is going to do. They bring her onto the red carpet right next to him. And then we know the rest of the story. He bends down, he writes something in the sand that still to today we want to try and figure out what he might have written. We don't know. And he looked up at her and he says, you know what? There's a higher standard for you. There's another way of life. All these things that you've tried and relationships that you've been clinging to have not satisfied you and it's brought you to this place. But I want you to encounter my love. And he says, where are your condemners? Can you imagine that maybe when the guys heard that Jesus is not gonna do things the way that they would have liked him to, they left like, oh, well, that one didn't work. She says, where are your condemners? those who condemn you and then he says neither do I condemn you and she encounters love true love for maybe the very first time where Jesus invites her in and she's changed forever yet he says from this place of love now go and sin no more don't fall back into the lesser standard. 
Don't cling and bow down before things that give you temporary satisfaction. Don't choose the peril and five years down the line, a similar situation. Choose life. I put before you life and death. Choose life. Choose my promise. Choose the fullness of my forgiveness and a journey with me. And that's the invitation for all of us this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see the invitation and not the rebuke. We, some of us might really just be here this morning and say, wow, ish, I've got such a long way to go. Some of us are seeing the image of you inviting us. Say, come here. No, we just don't feel we, can, we can't, we can do it, Lord. Yet you told this woman that she's welcome. And I pray, Lord, this morning, Jesus, that you would speak to every heart, telling that they are welcome to come and you want to set right what's wrong. You want to clean what's been dirty. You want to make new that which is old and rotten. Lord, and then some of us are waiting for culture to like what we believe before we act on it, before we come closer to you and live like that. And you're also speaking to us this morning and saying, hey, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on this invitation that infinite joy and fullness of life and life abundant is found in me and in nothing this world has to offer. So come up closer. And I'm gonna ask Brian to sing this song and I want you to just take a personal moment and let Jesus speak to you and let him lead you and invite you to that place of encountering him again this morning. Thank you, Lord. This place of true surrender, I call upon your name. Humble at your feet, come to you again I've tried to find your way but only found my own let my wandering heart find rest you This place of true surrender, I call upon your name. Humbled at your feet, I come to you again. I've tried to find your way. found my own let my wandering heart find rest in you alone Lord draw
me back to you. Let me hear your voice again. Come and awake my heart. Come and awake my soul. Let it burn for you. Lord, draw me back to you. Let me Ask us all to stand together this morning. If you have been delaying coming to Jesus because of inferiority, because of your brokenness, because of your battle, your disbelief, whatever it is that's kept you away, and you've heard so clearly this morning that He is inviting you to step onto that place of meeting with him and you want to say this morning I do want to take that step will you just put up your hand and just say that's me thank you anyone else thank you it's amazing thank you God secondly if you've been so affected by the opinions around you that you've stayed away and you haven't come close to Jesus you believe in him you're in the room because you are there to worship and adore him, but you're not taking the fullness of drawing so near to him that he is your ultimate pursuit and your greatest affection. And the fire has died out, and this word is haunting you this morning, saying the fire is not burning. Can you just put up your hand, ask one, and say, yeah, that's me. Thank you. There's more hands. Just keep putting it up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that we look to this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one who empowers us through your Holy Spirit for this Christian life. Thank you, Lord, that the desire for you is far greater than the desire for anything else, Lord. And we choose as a people this morning 
to say, we make that exchange, Lord. We, we choose you and the fullness that you have for us. And we say no to the things that don't come near to the way that you satisfy. Lord, I thank you for every hand that said, I want to come to Jesus just as I am. I want to come and bear it all and say, Jesus, I don't feel worthy. I have messed up, but I'm back here and I want to meet with you and I want you to encounter me with your love. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would shed abroad in every heart that is crying out like that this morning, your love and the love of the Father. Lord, it's a work that only you can do. And I pray that you do it. I pray, Lord, for the rest of us who have exchanged our affection to you for affections of lesser things, that the fire would burn again, the fire of desire and passion and zeal and conviction for you. Lord, that we would fight this good fight of faith, that we would clothe ourselves with gentleness and steadfastness and faith and love and godliness, that we would be a people, Lord, who is a city within a city, a city on a hill that is shining so brightly like Israel did in this moment amongst all the other nations, a bright shining light that others can come to and we can point them straight back to you, Jesus. I pray that we would be that community. I pray, Lord, that we would find ourselves daily desiring and longing after you and that ultimately, Lord, we would be led to a place where we live in the fullness of the promise that you have for us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. We pray that you would lead us this week in our journey with you. And we pray that it will bless everyone here this morning. Pray that we won't just leave and carry on, but that we would leave with such a passion for you and for your name. And the people of God says, Amen.